Lord, I do pray that you would be with us tonight as we go through this chapter. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing unto you, Lord, and that you would just minister to each one of these ladies, whether they're here or they're listening online. God, I pray that their hearts would be encouraged tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in Genesis 5, but I don't think we're going to read through it. Hopefully you read through it. <laughs> so it is the genealogy of Adam. And in this whole chapter, what we see here is a man called Enoch. Enoch was the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. And Matthew Henry's commentary on Genesis 5 says, concerning each person mentioned in this passage of scripture, it's like a, uh, when you read through it, it's a family tree with all these difficult names, and I don't want to put you through that trying to read the difficult names. So, But concerning each person mentioned in this passage of scripture, except Enoch, it is said, and he died. It is well to observe the death of others. They all live very long. Not one of them died till they had seen almost 800 years. Imagine living so 800 years old. <laughs> Shaking their head, no. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and some of them live much longer to 900 or more. A great while for an immortal soul to be imprisoned in a house of clay. And isn't that the truth, right? The present life surely was not to them such a burden as it is commonly now, else they would have been weary of it. Nor was the future life so clearly revealed then as it is now under the gospel else they would have been urgent to remove it. All the patriarchs that lived before the flood, except Noah, were born before Adam died. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty amazing. We don't think that way, you know, because our lifespan is what, 70? Some say 70, maybe 80, but it's painful. Some people live to their 90s. We know people in their 90s. Some live to their hundreds, but we see the, t- the deterioration the older they are. You know, we really see the curse of sin on their life. And um, it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. So 240 years after Adam was created, in verse 26 in that chapter, it says, men began to call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Humanity began to worship. And that's amazing how all this time, no one was acknowledging who God was. The generations. But in verse 26, the Geneva Study Bible says, God moved on the hearts of the godly to restore a relationship with himself, which had been suppressed by the wicked for a very long time. I can't even imagine that. What? life would be like for all of mankind with no one calling on the name of the Lord. Talk about the darkness. You know, the darkness. But it's amazing how God 
somehow Enoch in the midst of that darkness walked with God. And that encourages my heart because that tells me it doesn't matter how dark it gets, we can walk with God in the midst of the darkness. In verses 22 and 20 through 24 through this chapter, it said Enoch had a son named Methuselah, who was the oldest person in the Bible. He's 969 years old. Even <laughs> making faces for those that aren't here. And it seemed like after Enoch had a son that he took his relationship with God more seriously. And that's interesting because sometimes you see that, right? Start having kids and the fathers realize I need to take my walk with the Lord more seriously. And Enoch chose to walk faithfully with God in the midst of a broken, sin-cursed world. Scripture tells us Enoch was not because God had taken him at 365 years old. God just took him. What was that like? What was that like? I mean, just to be here and then all of a sudden, you're not. Hebrews 11.5 tells us, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death, meaning he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. <sighs> Would people say that about us? Right? We'll wait no more. Enoch's epitaph was that he was faithful to God. In Genesis 5, 24, we see, and then he pleased him in Hebrews 11, 5. And do you ever think of that? I mean, what will your epitaph be? What will you be remembered by? What mark will you leave on this world and on people's lives when we're no more? Do you ever think of that? Yeah. I do. Yeah. Enoch experienced fellowship with God and he lived a life consistent with God's will. What an example to us. And when we're walking with God, like Enoch was, what we learn is our lives glorify him. They really do glorify him. We are salt and light in the midst of a sin-cursed world. And that's what we are today. We're salt and light if we're walking with the Lord. If we're obeying him, following him. Do you know there's only two people in the Bible who are said to have been chosen by God that escaped death? Does anyone know who the other person is in the Old Testament? Elijah. He had the same experience. Second Kings 2.11 tells us, Suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, referring to Elisha, his, success, his successor, and Elijah. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone said that would be pretty cool. Could you imagine standing there and seeing him go up? What about the disciples when they said Jesus ascended to heaven? What was that like? According to scriptures, Enoch and Elijah are the only two people God took to heaven without them dying. Do you ever think about that? Listen to the Hebrew word, okay, for the word took here. And it's pretty long, but I want to read it because 
I want you to see what this word took means when God came and took Enoch. To take in the widest variety of applications means accept, bring, buy, carry away, drawn, fetch, get, enfold, many, mingle, place, receiving, reserve, seize, send for, take away, up, lay hold of, seize, receive, acquire, buy, bring, marry, take a wife, snatch, take away, take in hand, to take and carry along, to take from, to take out of, to carry away, to take away, to take for or for a person, procure, get, take possession of, select, choose, take in marriage, we hear that again, receive, accept, to take up or upon, put upon, to fetch, lead, conduct, capture, seize, carry off. So when you read that word took, that's what that definition means, that God did that with Enoch. So to be captured, to be taken away, to be removed, to be taken, brought unto, to be taken from or out of, to be stolen from, to be taken captive, to be taken away, to be removed, to be taken into, to be brought into, to be taken out of, to be taken away, to take hold of oneself, to flash about like lightning. And when you hear the definition of that word took, what does that remind you of? The rapture! <laughs> the rapture! Yeah! Yes, 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 yes. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verses 1 through 4, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be there also. And where I go, you know and you know the way. Isn't that encouraging words? I got Amber's, Amber's attention. She's like, really? <laughs> really? Jesus has promised his followers that he would come to take them home to be with him. That is such good news. It is such good news. And I want to read to you this in the Hebrew culture, the bridegroom. What, what was the tradition there? One of the last things the bridegroom and the bride talked about at the betrothal was the groom's return for her. At this meeting, the bridegroom promised to return for his bride after he had prepared a place for them to dwell, often a place on the family land. With that promise of betrothal, the bridegroom left his bride and returned to his home to prepare the promised place. He would begin building a dwelling at the father's house. 
And at the same time, the bride will be preparing her wedding garments, awaiting the bridegroom's return. She would not know the exact day, but would know the season, since it was usually about 12 months or less. The son would often build a house adjoining the father's house, and those houses linked together would share a common courtyard. At the father's son, all, I'm sorry, all the father's sons would raise their families together in that close-knit community. Though it was technically next door, that place to which the son brought his bride was known as the father's house. As the son built the house, the father oversaw the construction. And it was by his say-so that, they, that they, the house was considered finished. When he said the house was finished, then he would tell his son, it's time to go and get your bride. Since the bride would not know the exact hour, she had to be ready with her wedding garments, watching and waiting for the return of the bridegroom. Isn't that beautiful? That's what's happening now. The fathers are preparing a place for us. Think about this. Jesus is preparing a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus is preparing a place for Sarah. There's a better country awaiting us. This is not our home. Just passing through. Pilgrims. That's where we are. Doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are. If you're born again, or by the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus is prepared to place for you. And when that place is ready, it's going to come. Take us unto himself. Snatch us away, as it were. Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Or surely I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And in the New Testament, what we see is there are some Christians who are living at the end times that would experience <coughs> death, but then there are some who will experience what Enoch and Elijah did. Hallelujah. Yes. You can't help when you get your eyes on this to rejoice. Yes. When you look at everything else going on, trials, things people say, just weighs us down, right? But when we get our eyes on this, it's like, He loves us. He loves us. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 26. This is pretty long, but I do want to read it. This is one of my favorite passages in Corinthians. It says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep are lost in Christ. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he had destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, the Apostle Paul is saying. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars differ from stars in its splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown, it's perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, a life-given spirit, referring to Jesus. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust, referring to Adam. The second man is of heaven, referring to Jesus. And as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have bore the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. 
I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then he says these profound words here, behold, I tell you a mystery. It's a mystery. So don't try to figure it out with your natural reasoning mind, because we can't. It's a mystery. (laughs) We shall not all sleep, referring to die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? That is like good news. I am encouraged. It doesn't matter how much I see of my ugliness and my ugly nature. One day I will bear the image of the heavenly man. This flesh will be totally gone. And that should encourage you all. Moms, wives, daughters, sisters, that you see your flesh, you see what you like, you hate what you like, it keeps you on your face before God, crying out to God. By faith, you need to believe what God's word says. You need to believe this. Don't let that weigh you weigh down, that you don't see the promises of God. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. God's word is true. He doesn't lie. And we know it's true because Jesus died, right? But he rose from the grave. The apostles saw him. So did 500 other people see him. Paul on the road to Damascus saw him. Others saw him before he even came here. Ezekiel. Isaiah. John on the island of Patmos. Jesus is alive. He is alive. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 17. Brothers and sisters... We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The rest of mankind have no hope that don't believe in this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first after that. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Matthew Henry said, Enoch's removal from this world is expressed he was not, for God took him. He was not any longer in this world. He was changed as the saints shall be who are alive at Christ's second coming. This is real. It's real. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait. And in your word do I hope. Do you have that cry in your heart? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I think the older you get, it gets easier to wait for. <laughs> when you're young, you think you still have your whole life ahead of you, and you got dreams, and but this is reality. I mean, not just old people die and pass away, so young. Mm-hmm. But are we waiting for him? Because mm-hmm. Jesus said, I left this place to go prepare a place for you. Yes. And when that place is ready, <coughs> I'm going to come back for you. And are we longing like that bride we read in the Hebrew culture? That she's waiting, watching. She knows she's coming back. She doesn't know the day or the hour, but she's preparing herself for her bride. Cool. I love this what Job said. This is interesting what Job said, Job 14, 14. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change comes. I've never seen that before. But Job is waiting for a change to come. So the lesson we really learned from Enoch's life is we should be women who walk faithfully with the true and living God of the Bible. And you got to say that nowadays, the God of the Bible, because many are making a God of their own choosing and likeness. And I want to read this to you here, if I can open this up. When it talks about Enoch walked with God, the Hebrew verb translated here as walk is to go or to travel. It's of a habitual manner of life or a consistent relationship with God. Thus, the word describes Noah, Enoch, and other people of faith as living in a close relationship with their God in an obedience to his commandments. That's how Enoch walked with God. And I think about what Glenn shared on, on Sunday, the scars. Do we have scars of faithfulness to God? Do we have those scars? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What else we can learn from Enoch's life is we should also seek to please him with our lives. And I thought about the scars again that Glenn shared, obtaining scars in the pursuit of holiness in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. 
Are we alert, watchful, awaiting Christ's return for us? You know, some of the things that struck me on Sunday, I know the message got totally destroyed somehow. I don't know how, but I guess it was just for this church and those that weren't here, you missed it. And I'm sorry if you get upset with me for saying that, but you should have been here if you could have been here because God was speaking to us. And some of the ways he was speaking to me is Jesus desires for me to hold loosely to my life here on earth and understand more deeply the glory that I'm going to experience, that you are going to experience when we enter into his presence, when we're there. What we read about in Revelation 5 and 4 and 5, before the throne room of God. What is that going to be like? To pray, God, set my heart ablaze again, just to live for eternity. Not for here and now, but for eternity. Keep reminding me, keep reminding us that we're just strangers and pilgrims here. It's not our home. To pray for a spiritual revolution to take place inside of all of our hearts, inside of my heart. Do you want that? You do, you'll be ready. Whether you die or Jesus comes for you, you'll just be ready either way. And Lord, help us to love like you and the Father love one another and each another's. Titus 2.13 says we should be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a blessed hope awaiting us. And that's what we learned from Enoch. That's what we learned from Elijah. God came and got them. He got them. Others died. But they have that hope that they will be resurrected again from the dead. That God will raise them up. How wonderful. Such good news. It really is good news. And, you know, as I prepared this lesson a couple of weeks ago, but just going over it again, I was like, Lord, how do you want us to close this class out? And I just sensed the Lord say, pray. Close it out for all of us to pray. That's how we're going to close out this class today. No discussion, just pray. So I'm going to turn the recording off because it's difficult for them to hear the prayers on the recording. So...